Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into one of the most exciting restaurant and bar scenes in America in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini, joined by Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson, coming to you for this segment from DW Bistro in the Gramercy, where we have just chowed down on some flautas, which are delicious. We have more food coming as well. Mm, me gusta mucho los flautas. Uh, my Spanish needs work. Al, I'll tell you what, though. You remember this song? When you're alone and life is making, making you lonely, you can always go. Boom, boom. Downtown. Hey, look, he's got right on there with that face. I'm loving that, man. And uh, you, you remember the Seinfeld episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's downtown, George. Yeah, George could never figure out the project because he had to go downtown but didn't know what for. But we did go downtown, and we do know what for. It is to discuss the ever-expanding downtown Las Vegas food scene. We were on Fremont East. We talked about the history of... Uh, of downtown Las Vegas and that food scene. And we started, and we went to the place that started it all, Latai, Las Vegas. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and we talked to Dan Coughlin, the owner of Latai. We're also joined by Mr. Vital Vegas himself, Scott Robin. And I got to tell you, Scott and I really got into it, talking about our very different styles of covering Las Vegas. So um, are the sparks going to fly, or are we going to have some kind of kumbaya moment? You're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. But first... Let's share what we've done over the past week in Las Vegas. Jason, you saw a movie. I which, did see a movie. Which, <laughs> that's the end of the segment. I mean, that should come as no surprise, man. You write movies, you act in movies, you have your own movie podcast, you're about to head to Reno to accept some awards at a film festival, but apparently that's not enough movie talk for you, and you have some more to tell me about today. I, I'm just nominated. I don't know if I'll be accepting awards. And, uh, really, Think positive. And it's yeah. an honor just to be nominated, I mean, that's right? what they say, but yeah. I want to win. Yeah. Um, no, I saw Pig, and I wanted to talk about it because it's, A, one of the best movies I've seen this year, and two, revolves around the entire dining scene and this kind of what's real, what's not real, what's important. It's about uh, Nicolas Cage plays this very, very celebrated celebrity chef who is so eccentric, he wandered off into the woods about a decade ago, and he farms for truffles, and he's got a truffle farming pig, and that pig gets stolen, and he has to go right back into the food scene. So, and- so this is like Babe Pig. Pig in a City, but a little darker? It's, uh, I, well, Bay Pig in the City was pretty dark, if you remember. That's true. Okay. George Miller directed <laughs> yeah. that. It's like John Wick, but it's not violent. But it does go underground and fight clubby and all this and that. And I think it's a good representation. First of all, Nicolas Cage does a very, very good job in it. And also it's a good representation of, like, are we focusing on the right things in food and what's important? And really it's about being true to yourself. I recommend going to see Pig or rewatching Babe or Babe Pig in the City. And also we always recommend Nicolas Cage because if you live in Las Vegas long enough, you eventually get into that conversation, what local bar have you spotted Nicolas Cage drinking? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen him yet, but I hope when I do, he says, I want my pig back. <laughs> so, it's either Nick Cage or OJ, right? <laughs> yeah, you, in Vegas you see Nick and you see OJ out. Um, so, okay, so... So Pig, not Babe Pig in the City, both of them. So see them both. See Pig Babe movies. Pig in the City is a great movie. And then go get some, um, I don't know. You want some bacon now <laughs> I want some bacon afterwards. Yeah. Bold pork, baby. Bacon. Bold pork. Um, also, we both went to Momofuku this week for lunch. My first time back since the pandemic. Have, is it Was it yours as Mine well? Mine as well. And the Cosmo was hopping, man. Not just Momo, but uh, everywhere. Egg Slut, when I walked in, was just packed to the gills. I am. Um, I was, you know, I like going into Momofuku because they've got like the, the baller plates, you know, the things that are just a ridiculous amount of money. And then they have some bargain dishes. And, you know, we were in there during the lunch menu and, you know, they have everything from the truffle ramen for 78 bucks, uh, the Bosam for four people for 180 with the, the pork shoulder and oysters. But I actually got one of their, their affordable lunch plates, which was you get the, the meal plus a Dos Equis for 25 bucks. And this was a bulgogi cheesesteak. And fries made with kimchi, mozzarella, and furikake. Furikake? Furikake. Furikake. Yeah, and it's it's on a round roll, so it reminded you of a little South Jersey style. Okay, yeah, the the round roll cheesesteak, just for the record, because my family actually had one of those this week. They were posting pictures on social media. That is a Camden, New Jersey thing. That is Donkey's Place. My dad used to pick them up (laughs) from my mom in the early 60s from Donkey's. They still make them there. Bourdain made them super popular, but I've got to be honest, it's not a Jersey thing. It's a Camden, New Jersey, like for about five blocks around that place. Very localized. 
And before we forget, for the dumb guy here, what is a furikake? Furikake is a uh, Asian spice, Japanese spice. Okay. Yeah. But I want to, and sorry, Rich, I was almost cut you off there. <gasps> but there's a reason I did it. It's because, Al, I feel like cheesesteaks in this town get a bad rap. <gasps> I feel like we get some good cheesesteaks in this town. And I want to put it out as a challenge to any chef. Or any listener, like, what's the best cheesesteak? And if you're a chef, can you make us the best cheesesteak? I think there are a lot of good cheesesteaks in this town. And I do think that, um, and I'm a guy who grew up in South Jersey. And personally, I think, you know, Pat's is okay. Gino's is okay. I actually like to go to John's Roast Pork and get the cheesesteaks there in Philadelphia. But I will tell you that Las Vegas cheesesteaks, like the worst bar, video poker bar cheesesteak in Las Vegas, is better than 90% of the cheesesteaks that you get at any place further than, you know, 50 miles from Philadelphia. With the exception of the place I was at yesterday as I was on the way for our recording session in Henderson. You had a bad cheesesteak? I had a bad cheesesteak. Had a little mom and pop thing, so I'm reluctant to no, name No, you, you already put I mean, it out yeah, there. If you you're going to bash somebody, Sammy's then... pastrami burger oh. on Tropicana. Yeah. I had the cheesesteak. It was, you know, they, they did the meat to order. It was a, you know, a grocery store bun from who knows where. Onions and green pepper and then it was absolutely totally covered in mozzarella or or not mozzarella white, but, but white american no it was white american provolone. It was provolone it was provolone and it was just this big hunking square of white mm. and it really had no taste but and you're richie white bread yeah you're a big hunking square of I, white. Know what, <laughs> I know good white bread when i uh, get it usually from my no okay well but the bulgogi oh. cheesesteak at mama well, food yeah, worth, checking is out. Good. Yeah. worth checking worth out checking out but that is the challenge we're throwing out to chefs also right off the bat go red pepper instead of green pepper not your fault they probably didn't know they didn't they yeah. you know no clearly clearly they didn't didn't know that and yeah and, and the challenge that i put out is Tell me where a really good cheesesteak is in Vegas, okay. and I will go there. But also, on, moving on. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Al and I had a big adventure yesterday. <gasps> we went to lunch together. We went to dinner together. We were in downtown Summerlin. We went to Trattoria Reggiano that I don't think any of us knew about before this. Oh, place. I didn't even know that place was there. It's like right. It's and it's weird because it's right next to the movie theater. It's right across from GameWorks. Uh, so your entertainment district, but it's kind of hidden behind the pizza joint, Banana's Pizza, right? And um, it's it actually we had a pretty damn good meal, a lot of good pastas. Um, I I was amazed that we didn't know that that joint was there. Yeah, my favorite thing there out was the baked ziti. It was very home style, brought back some good memories. And uh, but they also have one in uh, the Grand Canal shops, if I'm not mistaken. And the Banana's Pizza brand is ever expanding. Yes, so good for them. And yeah, drop in that spot. Tell us what you think about it. Um, I went to El Luchador. I know we've both been to this place. It's a it's a Mexican wrestler themed uh, Mexican place over on uh, Blue Diamond and Buffalo. And look, I like that. I like that place. I think if you're in the neighborhood, it's a really solid sit down Mexican restaurant, which Las Vegas doesn't have a lot. Um, a lot of places like that. But what surprised me on this visit was that Chef Aaron Bryan sent out some queso fundido infused with pork and hatch chili peppers, and that surprised me. Because hatches are not usually in season this early. So I went back a couple days later to get the lowdown on the hatch chilies. Were you surprised to see hatches come in early? All right. Yeah, they were about two to three weeks early, but they get it from a specific farmer and all his stuff is going straight to Melissa's. So Melissa's getting theirs early. The spicy ones don't seem to be too spicy yet, but all the mild ones are full of them. Now, people get super excited about hatches, right? They, you know, it's just, oh my God, the hatches are in, the hatches are in. For people who are new to hatch chilies and they want to know what all the excitement's about, what would you recommend they do with these if they run out and buy some? There's so many things to do with a hatch chili because if you go with a mild, they can be used for sauces, they can be used for salsas, they can be used to actually stuff with other cheeses and stuff like that to make almost like a relleno. Um, a hatch chili is a very versatile flavored chili, but you have to roast them. The only good flavor you get out of them is to roast them professionally. Okay, and are you doing any roasting over here? Um, Melissa's is working on us with right now to uh, bring a roaster out on the weekends, and we're gonna do probably some weekend roasting and be able to sell them retail to uh, all the people here in the valley. 
Okay, Al, you said the right thing right there. You said that people get crazy excited about Hatch Chili's, and this place is called El Luchador Lucha Libre Wrestling. Let's set something up in the parking lot, a Hatch Chili on a pole match, and the winner gets their own Hatch Chili's from El Luchador. Andy, Aaron, if you're listening, make it happen. <laughs> you just like to throw out. I feel like yeah. you're like the coked-up guy in a writer's room in Hollywood, right? And you just like throw out ideas like, here it is. It's like this, but That's right. it's big, big, big in the city. And then the space monsters come. You know, you guys say what you want, but after this thing sells out and someone wins the hatch chili on the pole, they're going to be very excited. So. Well, he, he is open to do some roasting down there, maybe in the parking lot. So we'll see. I'll invite you when that happens. Look, last but not least for this section, before we head downtown, since we're about to take a deep dive into downtown Las Vegas, I had brunch at 7 in Carson on Saturday. Actually, I really like that place a lot through the pandemic. I was going down there a lot to interview Liam, the owner. Um, he was always doing something creative, always a adapting, always helping out with the community. Um, we did brunch there with some friends, a mutual friend of ours. I thought it was the best food that I've had there since 7th Carson opened, so I was excited to be in there. Uh, but while I was there, and we should point out, Carson Avenue, man, that's like a real restaurant row in downtown Las Vegas. And they're very, very friendly with each other. They, they all support each other. So Liam came over and he told me that um, that Veggie Nation chef Donald Lemperl had, um, had actually just been named, sorry, I'm looking at it, Forbes Online basically published TripAdvisor's 2021 Traveler's Choice Awards, um, their best of the best restaurant awards. Two Las Vegas restaurants were honored. Monami Gabi came in number five. That's in the nation for best brunch restaurants. And Veggie Nation, um, which is just a couple doors down from where I was eating, uh, that scored the number seven spot on the list of best Vegas restaurants. So since they are such a tight-knit community down there, Chef Donald dropped by to say hi to me while I was at his neighbor's restaurant. And I asked him what it was like to get that honor. So Forbes Magazine, one of the top 10 veggie restaurants in the country, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I'm really proud and honored to say that they rated us number seven in the country for uh, vegan restaurants so that's really cool and so I just like hope uh, continue and have fun and just enjoy myself yeah yeah uh, what do you think that says about where the Las Vegas vegan dining scene has come and they you know in a, the short period of time since you've been here well I think the Las Vegas scene is leading it across the country they got so many great restaurants that I mean especially when you have like 40 million tours visiting Las Vegas there's a lot to see and a lot to do and some really great vegan options for everybody so if you're vegan you won't be deprived and you'd be very pleased and surprised yeah. Anything new on the menu these days for people who haven't been in in a while? Uh, well, we're working on the brunch menu. We're working on some, some cool stuff where we got a, a ultimate breakfast sandwich. It's a huge sandwich on, on a, <clears throat> everything bagel. Uh, every uh, We have uh, the uh, vegan eggs on it, the, the sausage, the... Uh, uh, smoked Gouda cheese and sriracha aioli, so it's a really healthy, hearty sandwich. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks. Congratulations, yeah. man. Yeah, congratulations, and congratulations to our friends at Monamiga B, Vincent Pasul, one of the great chefs in Las Vegas. So this is very exciting for both restaurants. Yeah, and um, you can find some more information on all of that on our Facebook page. I actually linked to that Forbes article, so go to the Food and Loathing Facebook page, and you can see the list and see who they're in company with. That's amazing. Good for you, Al. Cool. Thanks for doing that. So we We'll be back momentarily with our trip downtown. We're going to Fremont East. We're going to Latai with Scott and Dan. This is Food and Loathing. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, and for this segment, Jason and I are coming to you from a Fremont Street landmark, which I guess has kind of become an institution, Latai. Legendary. Fremont doesn't exist without Latai. There is no dining scene without Latai down here. <laughs> there wasn't before this place was here, and we're going to get into that. Um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about the dining in the DTLV, as the Hepcats say, and we're joined for that conversation by the founder and chef partner of the Thai, the second-generation Las Vegas restaurant tour downtown Culinary Pie. You know what, Jason? You're going to do this intro. A few years ago, Al, I was on a panel for with Kevin Alexander, who wrote Burn the Ice, great, great food book, and he wrote this huge article on Thrill List about the upcoming dining scene and this and that. And one of the questions that he asked me on the panel is, what did I miss in the article? And I said, you talked about downtown, but you didn't give reverence and respect to the godfather of downtown. <laughs> there is no downtown like scene. That. He left out Latai. Latai was the one that, that's the foundation of and this And what's whole the thing. name of this man sitting across the table from you? That's my guy, Dan Coughlin, right there. That's all it took. <laughs> and Dan, who just ordered up some kind of strange whiskey yeah, mix. And now, 
as we know, Dan is killing it not with just Latai, but 8 East over at the Circa. Yeah, and we're going to get into all of that. But first, I honestly do, and we're going to introduce our other guest, Scott Robin, in just a moment. But Dan, what did you order us to drink? Um, so yeah, we got half Irish, so little JMO, right? <laughs> and then um, half Thai, little Thai whiskey. You're so, Thai. You're Thai-ish. Thai-ish. Yeah. It's Thai-ish. Thai-ish. Whiskey half and half. <laughs> what do we say as Thai-ish? Um, Chayot. 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 So we do a little whiskey. Oh my god. Oh no. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. And as a guy who there quit drinking no a while no. ago, that was a good shot. That was good. You made Scott so lightheaded he's going to write something and get sued again. Yeah, no, I'm sterile now. I, uh, <laughs> I've been hoping I could be sterile. And so who you're hearing there is the other, our other guest for this segment, a man who needs no introduction to local news and gossip junkies, the creator of Vital Vegas, Mr. Scott Robin. And I guess I was going to ask how everybody's doing today, but now I know you're all whiskeyed up, so everybody's yeah. Yeah. doing well. Already started. Scott loves it. Yeah, yeah. so Scott, I, um, your background, first of all, you were with LasVegas.com. You wrote for Caesars Palace. Um, you wrote for the Fremont Street Experience, handled all their social media. And, of course, now Vital Vegas is really where anybody who knows anything who wants to know what the hell's going on in this town and wants to hear sort of an unfiltered version of it, right? That is not necessarily always run by the powers that be, which is why people love you, man. Yeah, well, thank you. Or hate I, you. I, I, or hate. It's also uh, why they hate you. I right? am the power that bees because I'm. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is a an operation of one person, and uh, that's very flattering. I like to think that's true. Uh, but as as you said, it can be the way I do it is sometimes polarizing. I express op- very strong opinions. Uh, I report in a different way. So there's a lot of... Uh, the reason I think the account and the blog and all my social platforms stand out is because it's um, it, it's different and part of that is snark, part of that is just I know so many people who feed me information, uh, so hopefully people like it and the people that don't like it are free to move on. That's that's my philosophy. What was the last thing you wrote that just got heat on you, man? <laughs> uh, probably one of the biggest uh, the biggest stories in terms of traffic and buzz was the story about bed bugs. Um, and which Vegas hotels have the most complaints about bed bugs? And it was the complaints. You didn't go in and count the bed bugs yourself. In each no, hotel. but there was a study that was done. So I was reporting uh, on a study that had been done. I thought it was public information, but apparently, uh, when I say it, it turns to gold because it was out there. Uh, and but when I reported on it, it went through the roof, like hundreds of thousands of people every day, uh, for mu- multiple days, looking at this list of the hotels that had the biggest problem the study looked at all the review sites they actually did get into is this does this sound legit is this somebody disgruntled who's complaining about bed bugs but anyway that does not make me a friend of some of these hotels because and i do try to qualify it with yes they might have a problem but a problem is 45 complaints in three years like i i do try to be even-handed but the even-handed part is not the part that goes viral. Well, the, let's, let's be honest, Scott. We live in a town where the PR people, and a lot of them are listening right now. I probably get listened to by more PR people than anybody else early on in this podcast. Um, you know, they're used to only flattering stories. They're used to only positive stories. And, you know, I came up against a bunch of stuff when I tried to write about who was serving shark fin shark yeah. fin soup on their in their restaurants without having it on the menu because they didn't want to catch the crap and uh, you know i got i got blacklisted for a little while people wouldn't return my calls so i'm at hotels that yeah. Um, yeah oh you know pr people that just didn't want to deal with me because they knew that's the story i was you are still on. beloved for that by the way you will always have a special place in my heart because your influence on those folks the 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 institutions in las vegas who have uh, they have the power to change those things you speak to them in a way, uh, you're respected in a way I'm not by a lot of those folks because in their world, I'm a troublemaker. I'm a, I'm a burr under their saddle. Uh, and that shark fin story was amazing because you were the only one saying it. So I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm on your podcast. <laughs> well, I'm saying that because it, it was memorable to folks like me who think it's a, an absolute travesty that it happened for as long as it did. And uh, so I just wanted to say that, that that was appreciated. And we should say there's no shark fin on the Latai menu here. 
No, no chocolate. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the winter menu. Okay. And there's none in Las Vegas now, which was a huge story that not many people reported on. That overnight it went away and it became illegal to do it. And now I hear that uh, the high rollers are sneaking it in and having staff at the casinos do it. But because wow. they're not doing it in the restaurants, it's kind of going under the radar. So it's another Shouldn't level of problem. Shouldn't we get Darcy Spears on this? We we just ate shark the other day. Alan, not I, the fin. We not the fin. Yeah. Shark. Yeah. yeah. Fish and chips, yeah. which was good. Add sip so, and savor, which is good. Thrasher Scott, shark. when you talk about that bed bug story, I mean, that, that's a prime example of something where you found a study. It was a legit study. It's not somebody called you to whisper in your ear. And I think a lot of people, when we, when I call you, if I were to refer to you as a gossip columnist, which I don't, I, I, you are part gossip columnist, part journalist. You you walk that line very, very clearly, much in the way of some great people that I, that I revere, like Robin Leach did that as well. So, you know, I'm putting you in good company when I say that. But, you know, they think people are just whispering stuff in your ear. And I guess let's start with that misconception. How much of the, these rumors that you report, how well researched are they? And how, how far do you go to try to make sure that they're right? Yeah, um, it is definitely a mixture. It's part of what I do. Um, and it's gossip or industry chatter or a source said or I'm hearing. Like I use a, a lot of terminology that makes it clear that it's something that I can't get confirmed because a lot of these stories are quite far ahead of the curve, meaning I knew Celine was going to be in this theater a year before it was announced by Resorts World. So they're never going to confirm it. There's no way to confirm it. So I get to decide, do I share this rumor and be ahead of the story by a year, or do I sit on it until the news release comes out? And my my choice is to share it. Right. And, and you know, I, I try to make it clear that it's unconfirmed. It it is uh, has not been officially announced. It's chatter. Speaking so of sharing, part. are you going to drink that other whiskey there? No, yeah. I am. I am touching oh. the the lip of the shot glass, right. but my the left side of my face is numb. <laughs> and I, I did not do a shot. I did just the tip <laughs> of my. Drink your whiskey, Richie, Richie Wonderbread wants some whiskey over here. Yeah, he's watching. I, mean, I, I, I hate waste. So. You don't need to be sterile. So <laughs> you need to stay robust. What, yeah. You got any hot hot scoops for us today? There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's there are a number of announcements. There's going to be uh, so I love this bar and grill at Harris has closed. Toby Keith. Toby Keith's joint. They yeah. have not said it's even closed. I just heard that it's going to be a sports bar with a famous famous athlete, uh, but because I can't confirm who that athlete is, right. I'm not going to say that part. But I'm damn well going to share that that's what the venue is going to be. Right. Uh, so hot or not, it's. There's a lot that happens so much where I'll just get a piece of a story. I'll get a little inkling of something. And, uh, you know, I, I often say like these sources often well-placed, often risking their jobs, their livelihoods to give me information for whatever reason. Uh, but I, I really do try to filter out the ones that are BS, the one that maybe somebody has an extra grind. I, tr I try to make sure that I'm taking the information without an agenda as much as possible. Uh, but there's stuff that crops up all the time. I, people would not believe the stuff I have not shared. Right. It is off the chart and quite often will come to pass. But I try, I really do try to be, uh, you know, it's, I'm not a psychic and the sources aren't psychics. So when they say this uh, entertainer is coming or this restaurant's opening or closing, I, I really have to decide like, can I frame this in a way that makes it clear this is just talk? This well, that's is the industry problem. talk. The problem is with the listener, right, or the reader or the viewer, right? Because here's the deal, and, and trust me, I've worked for some legit mainstream news organizations that they turn around and they say to me, what's with this story that Scott Robe in Vital Vegas reported today? Why didn't you have it? And I'm like, I had it. I had it from the same source. First of all, you have great sources. Anybody at the New York Times would be jealous of your sources. You're phenomenal. You get a lot of stuff early. But many times I get things as early as you, um, and I I can't confirm them, so I sit on them. I don't think that that's an either-or situation. I love a world in which you'll report the rumor, and then the papers of record or the national news organization will wait around to get the details, and we'll report it when it happens. I don't want to be in a race with you to get the story. You report the rumor, I'll get the details. I believe there's a sort of symbiotic relationship that can work out there. The problem is when an editor of mine reads your story and wants to know why I haven't Will heard you it. Report it early now, since you don't work for the RJ. 
I mean, no. Look, oh. the, the deal is for me personally, and I know that we've got some great um, gossip columnists or people that report rumors like Scott in this town. I don't want to compete with them. I've been doing what I do for ABC News and the RJ and a lot of people for a long time. And I've really come to the conclusion that I'm not going to race to get things first. I'm yeah. going to try to get the most complete version of the story with the dates, the times, the details, all of that stuff when that's locked in. So, yeah, I'll throw people and I'll, I'll tell them to read Scott's rumors and then come back to me when you want the details and when they're confirmed I'm going to lock them in. I think that's a great symbiotic relationship yeah, for the works. different type of journalists to have. Yeah, I think both co can coexist. I find it a lot more fun to be first. Uh, I, uh, my account would not be a thing if I didn't break stories. Uh, a lot of them have to do with casinos. Like, that's the highest level of news in Vegas, really, unless... Elon Musk builds a tunnel. That's big. Oh, I broke that too. I forgot. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. That's that at that level, being able to get a story a week or a month or six months before anybody else. But I totally get that it puts pressure on the folks that are doing like, I want to do a more maybe nuanced story, or I want to talk to multiple people within the company to get their opinions about this. I don't, I don't really reach out to these companies much because they don't answer. Yeah. I have literally spoken to the people at Caesars and I've said, I want to reach out to you more often for confirmations or denials. I've done it and I get silence. So why would I go back to you I, to try and get a confirmation of something? It is a waste of my time because you don't like what I do. I might say something negative about this announcement. That happens too. As you said, they're used to folks that are kind of playing the game because they'll cut you off. They'll cut off access to a chef or an executive, or their property, yeah. or their show. You you won't be invited well, see, back. I'm, so. I'm not worried about that if, again, the shark fin story, things like that, I've been cut off, I'm okay with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I just do want to get the complete story. I will tell you where I think you and I differ, and look, this is just how I get to sleep at night. I don't like to announce restaurant closures until they've told the staff already, even when I know it, even when I have it dead that's to fair. rights that I it's going to close. Fair. I'd prefer that the that the restaurant, that somebody or their their kids don't hear it from me, right? Yeah. And, and that's well, imagine, me. imagine announcing a casino is going to close. You're dealing with <laughs> thousands of jobs, and I don't lose sleep about that. But I certainly have misgivings when a source is wrong or something changes. And uh, But during the pandemic, honestly, the stuff I was sharing, those internal communications that were leaked and those rumors, they, people every day wrote to me to say thank you for sharing that because I never heard it from my boss. I was laid off and never heard it till a week after you tweeted it. So there, there's that's a double-edged sword too. It's kind of like... Giving people a heads up, it, that's one side of the coin, but you know, making people nervous is another side of the coin. Absolutely. Sure. I think there's room for what both of us do and what, what all of the journalists in this town do. I'm glad to have you down here. And we are going to talk food, though, because nobody knows downtown like you and Dan yeah. know food. So, Jason, you've already introduced Dan. You want to introduce him again? Talk to him. When did yeah. you first eat here at La Thai? Because I remember eating at La Thai when there was nothing else on this street. That, that was the thing. Dan and I know each other from before that because we were, you know, of that hipster downtown crew hanging yeah. out here. And Dan was telling me about building this place, and there was nothing. People see this huge build-out on Fremont East now. There was nothing. I don't think anyone— Well, it's like Griffin, Kebab? Beauty Bar, right, and DCR right around the corner. The three yeah. bars That's it. and, and Joey's yeah. Pizza. Or yeah, pizza, the Pizza right? Kebab. But no, like, sit-down restaurant right. bar. The, right. What you were doing was something totally different, and it was a huge risk to take at the time. Very huge. I think we are so naive— on like how big of a scale project it was, we were just like, it'll work, right? Which I think you need sometimes to be naive, to go in a situation like that, because then you're just not fearless, right? We didn't overthink it. But it was uh, 2009 or 10 is when we signed the lease, and then it opened 2011. But uh, Scott, do you remember when Latai opened down here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, uh, I was probably one of the people saying, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> my, yeah, my parents really, said the same thing. It really <laughs> was, it's what you're talking about, like that leap of faith. It, it has happened a lot in Vegas history, and a solid 40% of the time it's panned out. You know, yeah. that leap of faith of like, I'm going to do something nobody else is doing down here. I could tell you 50 examples, but only four or five of those actually panned out. Like I showed like parents and friends, this is our spot. They definitely looked at me like, 
are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> but, but here, you had a few secret weapons. One, you knew the community we hung out. audience, right? Like, yeah. My wife was a DJ down here at Beauty Bar. Right. We were hanging out a lot. Two, your family's historic family for Thai food in America. I grew up in a restaurant, yeah. Yeah. One of the first Thai restaurants. In, my mom opened in up the first Thai restaurant in Milwaukee. Right. Cool. Yes. What the heck? Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 1984. And then you guys ran, the, your family ran the King and I here. And then right? my mom and my stepdad, um, Chris, who's Thai, they, she met him here. She brought my mom here in 92 uh, to open King and I on Tropa, Maryland. They're retired now, but they have, um, my stepdad's brother has King and I up up at the lake the still. Lakes. Yeah. And then you ran Mix Zone. As a youngster, as a youngster. Oh my God, that was so long ago. 2007, I was back in Milwaukee working. I was like, I gotta make a change. I always wanted to get in the business, but I didn't want to do my mom and them's concept because I, I, they had their own stuff, right? So she said, hey, just this lady's selling Mix Zone. Um, you, should, you should look into it, see if you like it. So I just up and moved and bought it for super cheap i'd say two months in i was like i'm in i'm in over my head man this is hard my parents made it look easy right right we all think this shit is easy man it's it's hard like good restaurants make it look easy it nine out of ten fail for a reason right because there's so many components that go into this you know um advertising staff waste whatever like we can go into those details later but yeah, I, I realized like I I'm I need help. So um got through it, met my wife, uh she helped out and we were hanging out down here a lot and Michael Cornthwaite and Jennifer Cornthwaite actually. DCR. DCR yeah. an emergency arts back in the day. Michael showed me this spot when um Don't Tell Mama opened. So then we he's like, Hey, let's catch a drink over here. I'm like, Alright. And we walked past the front here. And Michael's like, man, this is our favorite spot, but our hands are tied. We got too many things going on. And I was like, man, is that a patio in the back there? Because we were just looking through the window. And um, it was before we put a roof on it. And uh, I'm like, man, I, I, I kind of want to, I like this spot. And because we were hanging out a lot, we are like, all these kids got to eat. Everyone, there's just a drinking right now. So um, he gave me jo Jonathan Jossel's number. And uh, you can ask Jossel this. This is like a fact. He's like, you guys called, and you're, you're actually – people were looking at this space, but you guys were the only ones who showed up with a check. Oh, nice. <laughs> he, he told me that. Nice. He's like, hey, you guys put your money where your mouth is. But, again, I think we are naive to be like, it's going to work. I told my dad, I'm like, our address is going to be Fremont Street on it. I, I think that's an international street, you know, yeah. internationally. I'm like, Duh. even this part cool. of it is still pretty, pretty well, well known. Yeah. yeah. Follow up on one thing you said, you didn't want to do what your family had already been doing. So most Thai restaurants growing up are very traditional, very just food orientated. Drinking is going to be minimal. But when you actually go to Thailand, like I'm a huge fan of street stalls and getting a beer and walking around and there's just energy everywhere, man. It's amazing. Most Thai restaurants, you go in there and it's like terrible music. The, the communication is, is off, right? And I'm from Wisconsin, Milwaukee originally. And I mean, it's bars everywhere. So I'm like, I kind of I want to build a spot that I want to hang out at. A la the bar restaurant aspect of it. I'm a true believer, like what we were talking earlier, atmosphere, man. Like a good atmosphere. And I think it's going to be the future of restaurants. It's going to be a... A bar that serves food, right? It, it, it's a little funny because, you know, a Thai restaurant, you were raised in Thai restaurants, and you talk about how they used to be so formal, and the, it's only Thai music, and in Thailand, you go to the stalls, right? And now, I look on the strip, yeah. it's all about hawker stands, right? right. Like, yeah. everybody wants to do food courts that are imitating Our resorts that, world, yeah. and, like, I heard it's amazing over there with their stalls. You haven't gone, you have to go. It is, <laughs> it is... It is exactly what Al said. It is it, there. Even the look of like the neon and the things that are from oh, I've never been to uh, the foreign lands you're talking about. But it's exactly like the pictures and the video that you see. And it's it is the food is just excellent. And, and each stall is like yes, focused like on one or two things, right? Yes. Which I'm a huge fan of In-N-Out Burgers philosophy. Like they have a line out the door for 
for a couple items for a reason. Most restaurants get into trouble because your menu's too big, and then you got to deliver and do 10 out of 10 on everything. It's, that's almost impossible. Yeah. Less is more. Smaller menu if you're trying to get into the game. Do a small menu, and you can build on it, right? But if you have, a, if you have people coming over and over because you have, like, five things that they're like, it's unbelievable, trust me, it'll work. And I know it'll work. Can, can we talk a bit about what, um, what it's like dining on Fremont Street right now, right? Because hopefully a lot of people are listening that are coming to Vegas. They want to know what the scene is like. And I do want to talk about who the influential restaurants were. But you are on Fremont East or are you Fremont? And where does it end? Because people ask me that all the time. What, what I am I going to Fremont Maryland East? right now? You're Fremont East. I'm Fremont East, yeah. but I'm like in, I'm in the Beehive. Oh, Fremont yeah. East. yeah. So, so a Las Vegas Boulevard to Maryland to, is what you're saying. I would say it would, public us, public us, yeah. which they deserve credit to even go down there when they did it. Yeah. But once they did that, I'm like, all right, cool. They see what we see. Yeah. Right. So Fremont kind of starts down on one side at the plaza, and you have that big canopy that goes over for newcomers to Las the Vegas. The canopy stops at, um, or Fremont Experience stops at what? Forestry, no. and then you have two Forth. blocks yep. of more touristy. Vegas Boulevard is okay. Fifth Street. Yeah, Mickey okay. Finn's and the big, the beer. Then you come across the street to the nitty gritty Fremont East right here. And now. this used to be where people, I mean, I, look, I moved here from Brooklyn, so I, I wasn't worried about a bad neighborhood. But this used to be the neighborhood that people were sketchy, walking as far down as Pimps you are. And hookers, I, I think. Like buying drugs and yeah, uh, like an affor- and affordable hookers. And that's now, the important thing. Right, we not all the ones talk- I can't afford up in the I hotel room. The price Al wants would not believe the values offered down here. We talk about it now, like we're the old guys, right? Like back in our day, yeah, like, this place had color and everything like that. But now it goes it all the way real down. Thing. It goes all the way down to Maryland Parkway. But it's been a little at a time, right? And yeah, it's and still obviously Tony Shea accelerated it, and uh, you know one of one of my really good friends i mean he married my wife and i and obviously gladly missed but he gets a bad rap sometimes but at the end of the day he's a guy who put his money where his mouth is and and walked the streets man he didn't even have to do that like he could have stayed in an office right and just like counted his money Look, I was the first to critique things that Tony Shea was doing at the time he was doing them because everybody deserves criticism, myself yeah. included. But look, looking back in retrospect, a man who um, who definitely transformed this neighborhood. He and sped it up. Yeah. Trust me. And, like, he, and a lot of these restaurants that we love and take for granted now would not exist without him. Uh, and a lot of times he was kind of like, as far as I know, kind of a silent partner. So yeah. he wasn't out definitely. front. He wasn't the face of the place. And we weren't even partners with him. We were yeah. before Zappos. Well, and I, he still loved this place. I look at my list of the places that made an impact to the Fremont area of downtown, and of course the ties first, but then Eat with Natalie Young over on Carson. That was yes. the major, that was the first destination, but it was a breakfast destination. Yes. And and he was involved in putting that together. Then we have Carson Kitchen with Carrie Simon, the he, first dinner time real destination. One of the coolest chef. guys ever, too. So even real quick, Carrie Simon, um, when we opened, I think Cornthwaite brought him here, and this is even before Twitter and all that was even popping off. He tweeted out, like, this is the best pad thai I've ever had. That was a huge deal for us in our first week. Yeah. But that was also back then, and I, I want you to get back to this, but what you were saying about having a small, tight menu, you had, you know, the pad thai, and then I we remember. We kept it super simple. Short rib fried rice, first breakout dish beyond. Rainbow you know, curry. Yeah. Uh, Three-color Water- curry. Three color Waterfall yeah. beef. Waterfall beef, pork jerky, and waterfall sauces. Yeah. I mean, but those were inspirations from my mom and her friends. Like, people don't realize, like, waterfall sauce, um, it's like a salsa. It's like Thai salsa. We have that in our refrigerator. Every Thai person does. <laughs> that was yeah. my version of it. So right. we we just introduced it. Because a lot of Thai places think, oh, they won't understand this dish. Mm-hmm. I'm half Thai, half white. So sometimes I'll eat it. I'm like, mom, why is this not on the menu? Oh, they wouldn't understand. I'm like, I think you're out of your mind. They will understand because <laughs> it tastes fucking good. But you're That's doing why. stuff. There, there's magic that you're doing, and you can't claim that uh, some of these dishes go back to you know ancient times. They just don't because I've had. I your think food I make it and approachable. Other Thai food, and it's magically I think, different. I think I make it approachable uh, because I am half Thai, half white, and sometimes I change it up a little bit. But I'm not scared to for someone to come into the time and be like, oh, this doesn't taste like this dish I had here. Every Thai dish should taste different, man. I read a, I read a book, like, you have a thousand Thai chefs, they'll make a thousand different pad thais. It's the truth, man. You're, you're dealing with people's, like, 
sweet, sour, salty. It, it can go right. different ways on just like a little bit more, and that's fine. When did you know the tide was changing down here? When did you say Tony's worked his magic, the other people that he's drawn have worked their magic, and wow, I'm in a hotbed of creativity? Yeah, I think when uh, we all lived at the Ogden, for, <laughs> I, call, I call it Ogden Hall. It reminded me of college. I think that was like 2012. And for those who are unfamiliar, the Ogden was built under kind of one of, I believe, Oscar Goodman's big programs of we're going to build a, a lot of big called fancy the streamline. downtown. Remember when yeah. it was called the Streamline? And then we had a recession, and none of the people who put money down on those beautiful high-rise places oh. took them. And then when Tony Shea came downtown, he kind of turned it into party central for everybody creative in Las Vegas. I mean, you took your garbage out, and you were at a party. Yeah. <laughs> garbage party. <laughs> like, oh, what are you doing? I don't know. Taking my garbage out. Yeah, I'm having a party. All right, whatever. It's like on a Monday. <laughs> some people. It's the uh, truth. Some people hear garbage party and they want Scott to host. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, I heard that. Scott, oh, yeah. what? Uh, what do you? You're, you know, you're downtown. You're fix. You're a fixture down here. What is it that you love down here? Well, I I fear that I will sound ass kissy. Uh, to your guest, your other guest, but um, I go to 80s. Uh, we haven't really broached that subject. We yet, haven't talked about circus, but so I go to yeah. Uh, so circa is the new shiny thing downtown, uh, billion dollar plus 1.125 billion. Really, the bridge between strip and old school downtown. And in the midst of a lot of uh, great things, there is Eight East, uh, which is a sister restaurant of, of Latai. I eat there, without exaggeration, three to four times a week. <laughs> of those three to four visits a week, I literally have the same dish. Uh, I Tell don't need to order it anymore. Vegas? Well, it's, well, it speaks to what I was talking about, that people think they know what fried rice is. They think they've had it. And then you walk in and you have Dan's brisket fried rice. I add chicken skewers. That's what makes it Vital Vegas style. I would love to take this opportunity to, to say, could you confirm that I do not work for AD? Because I'm accused of that all the time. People can't believe I love no, it he so doesn't. much yeah. that I should. He, Thank he's you. just, he likes the food. Man. I love it. I respect it's it. so good. And yeah. I'm sitting at the bar. I usually dine alone because I'm there playing or whatever. And people sit at the bar and now they're asking for recommendations. Your team's great at it, but I'm better at it because I'm going to make sure they have the best meal of their lives so i get to pitch all like your top three dishes so that's the answer to the question is 80s and then everything else because that it that place sustains me it gives me a joy that i i grew up in hawaii i ate fried rice for 10 years of my life and then i come here and i i have the best fried rice that ever existed i think all food should be like this like this is why Latai is small. I think you talking to the table next to you is a good thing. Yeah, I, right. I like spaces like this, right? Like you just come to eat and you, you end up meeting the people next to you. Like, hey, what are you eating? Like that's best case scenario for me. Big spaces where no one's even interacting with other people is just weird for me. Man. While and we talk drinking. about downtown. Yeah, yeah and drinking. As well. yeah. That's an important point that you made, that it's not just the restaurant. That is a social I think it's the future around. of restaurants. Like, if you don't have atmosphere and a bar, th this is America. This is just what we do, right? You have to have those dynamics, right? Like, people want to go out. Time is precious. Like, they want to go out and have a fun time, man. Right? So if we go down to Circa and 80 East on one end of Fremont Street, now, to me, we mentioned as far down as Fremont goes, but for me, the, the biggest foodie destination on the opposite end of Fremont East, you're going to go to something relatively new, Vegas Test Kitchen. What do you guys think about that? Because that Amazing. is a space where it, which is very communal. I love it. You walk in, you have five or six different chefs doing I love totally everything food. about it. Like, I'm a fan of Jolene. I mean... I've known her since I fell on her table when she had a food truck. Sloppy truck. Joe's. Yeah. So. Uh, and she can tell you the story when uh, you have her on your podcast. But, yeah, I walked in there. I'm like, dude, this is this is a future. Like, to get into this business and lose a lot of money because you, you did a great dinner at your house and everyone told you how great you were. And then the next day you're like, I'm going to open up a restaurant, brick and mortar. Dude, you can you can be in the hole like 500k within like eight months. Man. And what Tesco's Kitchen does they, is they, allow they, people they, to try out their content yes, first before you get into trouble. It's the future. Like she's already ahead of the curve, man. Yeah. 
So we definitely recommend people go there. We are we're run, running close on time, which I'm always worried about. I also want to recommend Public Us because they took a Public huge us, risk, man. Yeah. yeah. I and love those guys too, man. Yeah. The cocktail scene down here was also, by the way, I think before the food was good in Las Vegas, in, on Fremont, the cocktails were good. Downtown yeah. cocktail room was good. The, the Griffin was good. Um, what? Where do you guys go for a good cocktail these days other than your own places? <laughs> Uh, well, it's Circa, like, if I leave Circa real quick, I'll go down to the Vegas Vicky Bar just because it's downstairs. But, yeah, as, as a local, try to go to the Arts District because it's on the way home real quick. Um, Velveteen Rabbit's always good for us if you want to get in there. Um, Griffin, I, I think, is the best yeah. bar. Like, you Griffin's walk into the great. Griffin, you think you're in Europe, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. the brickwork in there is amazing. Um where do you guys go for your drink? I mean, I love downtown cocktail room. I really yeah, DCR do. is awesome. Yeah, that's the place yeah. to go. You know, you are, and I'm going to kind of leave it at this and maybe ask Scott to explain the difference, and we're going to cut out of here. But you mentioned the Arts District. There was a time when the Arts District and Fremont were both lumped in together as downtown. Now I think that they're while they may both be downtown, they're very separate, different scenes. They're two different. Yeah. Separate yeah. identities. Scott, yeah. how do you differentiate between the two of them? And are you an Arts District guy? Yeah, I, d I can't say I get over there much. It's too far away from the gamble. Blame, to be completely <laughs> honest uh, but what they've done with Main Street is it's really interesting because they really have made something out of not much uh, it didn't feel like there was any cohesion the places that were there were hit and miss I think just over time you're gonna lose the losers you know the ones that aren't for whatever reason they're just not gonna they're not gonna make it and then you get it replaced with something that might be better so over time it's just everything I think Esther's kitchen being an anchor of that area really was important but having breweries down there having you know there's a new barbecue place like it, i think it's a legitimate destination now and i've always felt that way tourism has driven fremont street restaurants and bars have driven fremont east separate but equal i would say but i tend to go in the more touristy gambling areas but i think it's 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 a viable alternative to to fremont although i'm not going to drive anybody away from dan's places because i think that would be a huge huge mistake well hopefully they'll come to vegas for a little longer they'll be able to try both of them and also you look fremont street has the gambling it also has the half naked wonder woman people that you can have your pictures taken with that's very important to me i think people but, want to go to the arts district at this point like it's it's legit the but it's more locals great, thing. Yeah, it's, sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt, but it feels like a locals thing. Yeah. This doesn't, still doesn't feel like a locals spot. So I, to me, that's another differentiation. For sure. Just one more note on Latai. Um, if you come now and you haven't been in a few years, there aren't nearly as many fights outside as there used to be. <laughs> that's a big selling point. Fewer fights. You should put that on your advertising. I think I think the fights are coming back. <laughs> well, uh, give me another shot of that double whiskey, and we'll see if I can start a fight. But for now, we are going to wrap this up. We will be back shortly. This is Food and Loathing. We are back here at Food and Loathing, but the discussion of what's happening in downtown Las Vegas isn't over. Because in the days since we recorded our segment uh, over at Latai, Eater Las Vegas, our friends over there, broke some news this week on a new restaurant project called Peyote that will be taking over the old Lamanha space in Ferguson's downtown. And Al, this is like an all-star lineup here of people involved. It's a collaboration between some of our favorite restaurateurs and chefs and uh, barmen, the whole thing. Kim Owens, Justin Kingsley Hall, Jolene Menina, Max Solano, and Ryan Doherty. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm kind of munching on this turkey slider here at DWB Street, which is awesome. <laughs> delicious, but, um, delicious. Yeah, this this is kind of like a super group. I don't know, like a I don't know, should I say bad company? It's it's better than Asia. No. I'll say uh, that. Who um, did traveling Wilburys? Can you take me higher? Who did that one? The sticks and Ted Nugent uh, one. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I, oh, man, I'll remember that when we come back. But first, I was curious what this thing peyote was going to be all about, so I took a ride down to Main Street Provisions, which is Kim and Justin's spot, and I asked Kim. What is peyote? Explain that and who's involved because it seems like an all-star team. Uh, so peyote is an environment that's being created by Corner Bar Management by Ryan Doherty. And um, he has pulled together a few people in the restaurant industry, Jolene Menina, um, Justin Kingsley Hall, and myself, to uh, help open this restaurant. Max Solano's doing the bar menu. Uh, it is going to be a really cool, eclectic environment where we're going to create a menu for dinner, 
um, five nights a week and brunch three days a week. It'll be late night. Uh, there will be a lounge vibe that happens toward the end of the evening. Uh, as we get closer to 10 o'clock at night, it'll turn into more of a lounge with some smaller plates and smaller bites. Uh, very Palm Springs vibe to it. Peyote being a cactus, it's a huge cactus garden that Ryan has created around the, um, around the patio area. The colors are vibrant. Um, it's very... Uh, it's a little wicker and it's a little bit of that, again, that whole Palm Springs environment. When are you looking to open? Uh, we're looking at about early to mid-September for an opening. What kind of menu? Uh, well, you know, Justin is a very creative chef, so um, there will be some great plant-based items. An heirloom tomato summer tart that's going on the menu that has some summer squash in it. That's delicious. That's one of our plant-based items. Um, a beet tartare that will be uh, one of our plant-based items as well. We're going to activate that outside grill. I don't know if you remember that beautiful outside grill on the patio. That will be activated day and night. That will feature Justin's signature um, tri-tip sandwiches and tri-tip presentations. So that's going to be accompanied by some barbecue sauce, and then it'll be accompanied with some um, some romaine, grilled romaine, uh, some summer corn, and the menu will change as we go through our seasons. And Jason, we also have some news fresh from the inbox. Um, I was going through my, going through my um, Gmail before I came over here today, and I got word that the Vegas Pizza Alliance, some good friends of ours, are going to be hosting a special charity welcome party on the first night of Pizza Expo 2021. Um, that event, which is open to the public as well as Pizza Expo, Pizza Expo attendees, is going to take place Monday, August 16th, 2021 from 7.30 to 9.30 at Good Pie. And it'll have samples of pizzas from five of Las Vegas pizza makers, as well as Craft House Brewery beers. Um, you want to give people the ticket information on that one? Yeah, Jason? Al. Limited tickets available. $25 through sliceouthunger.org. So this is going to charity, which we love 100% of the proceeds. And listen to this all-star lineup john arena of metro pizza pop-up pizzas mike van keen mimo ferraro of pizza forte gio moro of pizzeria manzu and good pies vincent Rotolo. so that should be fun and we're, we're both really psyched for pizza expo coming up so i think so we're going to be doing some broadcasting there uh i know rich wants to say something but i have some news for you yes can you take me higher was by creed but high enough was by damn yankees uh, is that what you were doing on your phone over there instead of listening to that cut that I, <coughs> no I got that I I'm drove all the way across town hey, during the day I'm of exposed Central the only- California-style barbecue and plant-based yeah. food? I heard the whole thing. I'm excited. <laughs> Whatever Lola wants, Lola gets. Well, that's a different damn Yankees. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, not great news. Uh, we've come across a lot of shortages over the last year and uh, supply chain problems. And now the drought, of course is adding to the woes, and a combination of all that stuff is going to make life especially tough if you use tomatoes. And who doesn't use tomatoes? Washington Post says more than 90% of America's canned tomatoes come from California, what they call processing tomatoes. Those are especially water-hungry to be uh, grown. But the farmers are planting fewer acres. They're diverting water to thirsty crops like olives and almonds. You know it takes one gallon of water to make one almond? Hmm. Hmm. That's a lot of water. I did not know And I eat about one a year, so that's a gallon. I end up eating a lot. But add it all up, and we will all be paying more for tomato sauce and stewed tomatoes and pizza sauce, marinara, and ketchup. Man, you just need to get me started today with a story like this to read. I get, this This is like a trigger yeah. word story. This is like, you, this is a story that Which is Which word just, triggered you? I feel like this is clickbait for people to go nuts on whatever their political <laughs> views are. It's going to be like, oh, the crazy Californians, they got to eat their olives and their, their almonds, and now I can't eat my pizza, and the damn liberals, and they do that, and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, like, yeah, no shit, people. Things are getting bad out there. I mean, I don't know. We started telling you in the 60s to have less babies. Nobody paid attention. Start telling you in the 70s or 80s, maybe to stop, you know, polluting and, and worry about climate change. Nobody paid attention. And what? Now we're going to bitch about the fact that it costs a little more to get ketchup. I mean, like this, this has been coming for a long time. And like short of Thanos snapping his fingers and making half of us disappear. Those of you who have opted to breed are just going to have to go out and <laughs> rent Mad Max movies for your kids because that shit's coming. And I didn't have any kids. So by not having kids, I've done more to save the environment than just about any breeder other than 
maybe Bill and Melinda Gates. So I, at this point, tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. But let's be honest, 40% of the country won't put a damn mask on or get a vaccine when we tell them how to fix shit. So they're not going to fix this. Whoo! How about yeah. that? Uh, maybe Thanos can snap his fingers again and we'll get more canned tomatoes on the way back. So, yeah. Uh, personally, hello, hello, Sean. Sean, I, I got something for you about this guy named Al. We'll get back to you later. Uh, Rich is having a meltdown <laughs> over there, too, in a different way. I think his synapse is just <laughs> up snapping. Al, uh, my favorite canned tomatoes, DiNapoli. You know, you, you got to love the DiNapolis. Yeah. Are you, and they don't even pay you to say that. So that's They awesome. don't, but, yeah. I, but, it, uh, yeah, but if they, they did... Yeah. I would still say yeah. it. Right? Is there a drought in Italy for all those San Marzanos I get at Whole Foods? I don't. I do not know. I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't have the Italian weather channel. <laughs> that was a good rant you went on, Al. But um, speaking of rants, maybe our friend Tom Papa. Did you see that? That was a professional oh, segue. Look at that segue, man. Except for the part where you pointed it out. That then you lose points there. Thank you, Rich. Uh, you know what's always better? It's after someone specifically points it out to make a point that someone points out that they can. We get it out. To Tom Papa. Man. Yeah, Tom Papa, very good, great comedian, and uh, we had him as a guest, and we had a contest, Al, of. The, we asked our listeners which what suggestions they have for baked goods he should try while he's in Vegas because he has all those baking shows and he bakes bread. And the winner of this contest is going to get two tickets to see Tom Papa at Winds Encore Theater July 30th. And we're about to pick our winner right now live. Yeah, we got some great recommendations, um, including the sourdough crust at Yukon Pizza, fritters from Carl's Donuts, brown butter, dark chocolate chip cookies from Fresh 52 Farmer's Markets, the brookie at Honey Salt, a bagel and a plain schmear at Bodega Bagels. I just want to really recognize these great things if Tom's listening. Uh, baked goods served at the tea party at uh, Queen of Hearts. Also the pastries at Rooster Boy Cafe and Vegas Test Kitchen just put in a group plug for Yukon um, Banichka Pastry and Bodega Bagels. Which are all great. So they are all great. Fair, yeah. So we're going to put names in the hat. I have, the, have names. I went to my closet because my mohawk, people always give me hats and I never wear them. So I have a giant closet full of hats. <laughs> this is from the Penthouse Club Las Vegas, which has not existed in a long time, but great old strip club great memories i'm gonna pour all of the names into this hat and i well, let's make sure that person gets in there okay jason well i think rich eyes. should pull it to make it fair because oh, rich has rich, no rich speed. should pull it i love those words yes <laughs> What's that say? You can't read my handwriting. Yeah, it says Rooster Boy. It says Rooster Boy. Sonia. And that was Sonia, Sonia. Rooster Boy. So yes. She entered. We're going to give her the Tom Papa tickets. Yay. What a segment for Sonia. We we plugged her Rooster Boy Cafe, and it does yeah. deserve it. We plugged Bodega Bagels, which also deserves it. And she wins two tickets to see Tom Papa. Congratulations, And this Sonia. is what happens when you listen to Food and Loathing yeah. and enter our contest, damn it. You get plugged, and you get ticketed. You know, does yeah, does, does now, Sony have a plus one? Uh, I was going to say maybe oh. I'll grab the tickets and make her come over and grab them for me in exchange for some bodega bagels. But that's a whole nother story. And since we have a few seconds left, I want to start. You know, when we did our edible segment last week, I said I wanted to kind of start doing some reviews of edibles. So I'm not going to do a full review, but I did try out something new this past week. And I'm going to give you the little the little review. And maybe I'll even eat a little bit of this right now because I don't have anything to do the rest of the day. Um, wild edibles are the gummies that I've been using um, when, on those rare occasions that I do do gummies. And they have a new flavor that's out. It's their pomegranate gummies. Mm. One of the things I like about Wild, I'll pass this around to you guys, is um, they come in a lot of different flavors. They have a lot of different THC and CBD combinations. If you're into getting high and you want to do the THC, you can get sativa versions. Um, I do the, I, I've done the, um, the raspberry sativas. I've done the huckleberry hybrids, which are also THC. They have a um, an indica THC. They have pure CBD if you don't want to get high. This new one's a pomegranate, and it mixes THC and CBD together, which I wanted to try because, as Beth Schwartz told us last week, um, there's sort of the entourage effect, and that is not that Johnny Chase follows Vincent Chase around, but actually that if you have if you have CBD, which doesn't get you high, in the same product as as THC, you'll get a different kind of high. So I tried a little bit of this pomegranate gummy, and um, I will tell you, it was a different type of high than I've had in the past. And my review of Wild would be that I like them because they come in this little snap cap lid. So for guys like me who may only, who may not have them every day or all the time, they will stay fresh for you for a little while. And 
They're easy to like bite into and just have a half. Smells of, good if you too. don't because yeah. I don't always want. T- I, I usually, especially if I'm going to be seen in public, I don't want a full 10 milligrams of THC. They smell good. They smell fruity, and I'm going to take now like a little third of it, and that'll just give me a little enough uh, to I'm get I'm going to lay yeah. it in the trampet with him on the other. Th- no, I'm not going to. Give me a kiss. I'll let you know how that goes. So anyway, there's my review of one t- of one um gummy edible brand and if there's a dispensary out there that wants us to do this every week and review some products talk to us about sponsorships i will shamelessly plug away for sponsorships. You, you've done it yeah we love it al um I, speaking of shameless plugs i have one i have an article live on offthestrip.com about sip and savor which we've talked about here chef mac and my horrible new zealand accent go see him doing really cool breakfast and lunch stuff that you can't find and many other places around sausage rolls and uh, pies and all the hand pies, all that fun stuff. Thrasher, shark. Have fun with that. Jason, have a tiny little bite of this. It's good. It's <laughs> I would like to, but I, yeah, as, as, a, as a lightweight who's doing a seven-hour road trip tomorrow, I'm gonna, I, I will take you up on that when I get back. How okay, no, but the, again, these are good because you can split them down if you don't want the full thing. So cool. That's that, awesome. So That's it, Al. I'm going to take it from here. That's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests, Dan Coughlin, owner of Latai on East Fremont and 8 East at Circa, and the other end of Fremont there. And also big thanks to Scott Roman, author of the very influential blog Vital Vegas. Also, Chef Aaron Bryan of Luchador, El Luchador, and Kim Owens of Peyote. And if you like what you heard, please join us again next time. We will drop new episodes every Friday, and we hope this pitch will influence you to listen next week when we're going to be talking to two of the food scene's most successful Instagrammers, two of our local food scene's most successful Instagrammers. Um, We promise to severely limit the use of the hideous word influencer, except when I mock it. (laughs) I also want to thank DW Bistro for having us. What delicious food. And we are going to be having more uh, to to come from DW in the coming weeks, Al. DW, you want to try some of these gummies that I just reviewed? Yeah, these are wild. They're good. I got the pomegranate one. Bryce and Al, they're both both on the same gummy. But Al, tell a friend about Food and Loathing. If you're listening, we're on all the podcast platforms. You can subscribe on any platform. And if you subscribe through Apple, please leave us a five-star review, a nice review. Or don't leave us any review if you don't want to. Just reach us directly by email if you have any questions for us or any feedback. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. On social media, search Facebook for Food and Loathing. On Twitter, we're at Food Loathing. And on Instagram, Find mostly Al's very nice photos at food and loathing dot pod. Not dot pod, just food and loathing pod. Just like it says. And <laughs> yes, and I've been enjoying this. And thanks, thanks so much to DW Bistro for this great food. We're going to be coming back here for another segment where we really talk about the, um, take a deep dive into the LGBTQ scene in the Las Vegas um, food and beverage world. That'll be a few weeks out. So stay tuned for that. For now, with Jason Harris and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.